noting again the covenants and, very briefly, the narrative of Scripture, and then enter into an opening discussion on the two different priesthoods we see in Scripture. The first and eternal priesthood, known as the Melchizedek Order, and the temporary priesthood, added for but a short while, the Levitical. Along the way, we will continue to positively affirm the biblical understanding of the covenants from creation to Christ, demonstrating both the profound nature of Genesis chapter 1 as it relates the literal creation of the heavenly and earthly realms and the progressive revelation that ultimately brings forth the first heavens and earth through Moses that is ultimately done away through the advent of the Christ. This show will help all believers regardless of your background or current thinking. Regardless of whether you, one, agree with 2,000 years of Christian saints that Genesis 1 is about the physical creation, or two, are presently confused given the rash of different teachings running through certain camps in both scientific and religious world, or three, are thoroughly convinced that Genesis 1 isn't about the literal creation of the universe due to the higher criticism of certain scholarly types. Now, wherever you're currently at, you will find this show immensely satisfying, as it will either, one, bolster your faith, or two, undo your present confusion, or three, challenge you to abandon your current belief. Now, as we get started here, let's, as we promised, do a quick review of our first show on the covenants. In understanding the covenants, what we did was we walked through, excuse me, the six covenants that we find in Scripture, And in summary form, we have them like this. Before the fall, we have the dominion mandate, which is the covenant of dominion with humankind. After the fall, we have the Adamic covenant, which is the promise of the Christ. And then after that, we have the covenant with Noah, which is the promise to never again blot out all flesh. Then we have the Abrahamic covenant, which was the promise of the means through which the Christ would come to fulfill the Adamic covenant. And then the old or Mosaic covenant, which was the promise through Moses of the first heavens and earth that would act as a guardian and guide humankind through the fallen world unto the new heavens and earth. And then finally we have the new covenant, which is the promise fulfilled for both the Adamic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant, and therefore the dissolution of the remaining outward relics of the old or Mosaic covenant is brought to pass as well through the new. So we have these six covenants that we walked through last week. The dominion mandate or the dominion covenant, that's one. Two is the Adamic covenant. Three is Noah's covenant. Four is the Abrahamic covenant. Five is the Mosaic covenant. And six is the new covenant of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Also last week, we walked through a sequence of events which walk us through the narrative of Scripture. And I want to review that quickly before we get into our lesson today on the Melchizedek and Levitical priesthoods, because as we study the Melchizedek and Levitical priesthoods, we will see the covenants coming into play and how God used them to bring to fruition that which he always intended when he first began creation. And we'll also see the narrative of Scripture coming to play. So, just as a review, here's a quick review of the sequence of events. First, we saw that the original creation, starting in Genesis 1, was of the universe itself, not the heavens and earth that were to be destroyed at the Perusia. And we saw that in this original creation of the little, that, uh, this literal creation of the literal universe, this was what the first man, Adam, was formed into and in which the Melchizedek priesthood was the priesthood of record. Very important point, and we'll see that played out here today. Then we saw that from this world, Adam fell and was cast out into the fallen world, which God then brought forth. So already then, very early on, we saw two different environments. The environment into which Adam was first formed, the heaven and earth of the literal creation of the heavenly and earthly realms, and then the environment into which Adam was cast after his sin, for which he was immediately judged and received the judgment of death, 
which passed to the entirety of the human race, and again, of which the Melchizedek priesthood remained the priesthood of record. Then we saw in the narrative of Scripture that sin became such a problem in this fallen world that God brought a universal flood, starting anew the human race with Noah, his wife, and their three sons and their wives. After the flood, sin again threatened to be an overwhelming problem. So God separated men across the face of the earth, confusing their language at the Tower of Babel. And from this post-flood, post-Tower of Babel fallen world, Abraham was then called, through faith, recalling the original creation and foreshadowing its fulfillment in Christ, with Abraham even paying tithes to Melchizedek, still the priesthood of that first world. The fallen world then had layered upon it the first heavens and earth through Moses, and its priesthood was now different than the Melchizedek priesthood, its priesthood was the Levitical priesthood, and it temporarily replaced the Melchizedek priesthood of the original creation. This is what we'll be dealing with today. Now, given the level of sin leading to the flood and then the Tower of Babel, we see here God placing humankind under guard by the law of the first heavens and earth through this Mosaic covenant before the way of faith in Christ was available to us. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. To put it another way, the first heavens and earth was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. Then we saw that the Israel of the first heavens and earth ultimately fell into disarray, and so the first heavens and earth was referred to as old and ready to pass away, starting with the prophet Jeremiah. And we noted from the pulpit commentary how this specific Mosaic covenant was referred to by Jeremiah. Nothing else but that. Then we noted in the narrative that it wasn't the original and eternal creation of the physical heaven and earth that Jeremiah spoke of that was old and ready to pass away, but it was specifically the Mosaic covenant. And Psalm 101 in the Septuagint even makes that clear as well. Throughout Scripture, we see that being very clear and understandable. Then in the narrative, we saw in our summary that the fallen world was, after the first heavens and earth of it, the Israel of God had become obsolete in the days of Jeremiah. Well, this world was prepared for the end through the Greekification of the world, which included, as noted in the pulpit commentaries, the preparation of the world for the coming teachings of Christ through the prophets. This is a part... Oops, I lost track here, so uh, give me just a second. I lost my document. There we go. Uh, this, is a, uh, this is a part of why it is so important to use the Septuagint and not lose the entirety of the Old Testament as shared in the Septuagint. So that point there that I got a little messed up because I lost my document here on my computer, uh, that fallen world was prepared through the grief Greekification of the world and the Septuagint for the coming of the Christ. And then finally at the cross, Christ brought forth the atonement and redemption of the saints through the destruction of the Levitical priesthood via his role in the Melchizedek priesthood as the eternal high priest of this original order. And then finally, at the universal restoration of AD 70, all that, all that was encompassed in the first and temporary heavens and earth was destroyed, and all that was intended in the original creation of the literal never-ending universe, the heavenly and earthly realms of Genesis 1, was brought to fruition in the new heavens and earth of the great King Jesus. So that was our summary of what we covered last week, the six covenants and the narrative of Scripture. So upon this base of the covenants and the narrative of Scripture from creation to the cross, seeing Christ throughout it all, let's delve a little bit more deeply into the discussion of the two distinct priesthoods we find, as we noted in this summary. Now if we go back to the Garden of Eden, we will find mention of the Tree of Life. Now this Tree of Life, if we take all of Scripture into account, is in fact Christ pre-incarnate. 
So let's say that again. In the Garden of Eden, we, ha we find the tree of life being spoken of. And this tree of life is indeed Christ before he became incarnate in the flesh. Now this is important for us as we walk through this process because understanding the covenants is one way that we understand that the original creation in Genesis chapter 1 was not the heavens and earth that Jeremiah spoke of, being old. It's not the heavens and earth that passed away, but it was the original creation that was fulfilled in Christ. We have Christ in the Garden of Eden as the tree of life, creating that first world, and we have Christ in the New Covenant fulfilling what he started there in Genesis chapter 1. Now, what's funny about me saying that the tree of life is indeed Christ pre-incarnate is that those of the covenant creationist ilk don't dispute this understanding. In fact, they agree with it. But there is a problem because they bring something else to this belief. They state something that I find hard to believe. They state emphatically that they originated this understanding 12 years ago. I'm struggling with this, but I want to share this. This is a quote from one of the authors of the Covenant Creation Source File, a book called Beyond Creation Science, and he was speaking directly to me in a Facebook conversation. And what he said was, Paul, so you are saying that the tree of life was Christ, that eating from the tree of life was like taking communion. You got that from where? My co-author, Tim Martin, about 12 years ago, first suggested that. It's been mentioned on preterist sites from time to time since. You got that from those covenant creationists. Why are you stealing our stuff? That's the end of the quote. Well, I find that interesting because I think it's quite a stretch to suggest that Mr. Martin or anyone else from our generation first suggested that the understanding of the tree of life as Christ pre-incarnate just happened. In this instance, 12 years ago. I think we all certainly know that our ancient documents teach teaching the Christian faith across the past 2,000 years have taught the tree of life as Christ all along. And I think it's easy to show that the teaching of Christ, pre-incarnate being the tree of life, has been a teaching of the Christian church since the beginning. And we're going to do that here in a minute. I myself learned this understanding of the tree of life being a symbol for Christ, pre-incarnate, through Scripture itself and the council of 2,000 years worth of saints and their teachings. And I learned that long, long ago, certainly more than 12 years ago. I learned that more than 40 years ago from my own dad when I was but 10 or 11 years old. So to provide some proof that this teaching has been around from the beginning, that this is not something new that covenant creationists have discovered, that the tree of life was indeed Christ pre-incarnate, let's turn to St. Augustine, who wrote back around the 4th or 5th century. And what he wrote then was that indeed the tree of life was, wisdom herself, Christ. Now you can find this from Augustine in chapter 21 of his tome, The City of God. Chapter 21 is titled, Of Paradise that it can be understood in a spiritual sense without sacrificing the historic truth of the narrative regarding the real place. So not only will this quote from Augustine show us that the church has always understood the tree of life in the garden to be Christ pre-incarnate, but it will also help us to understand that this idea of over-allegorizing Genesis chapter 1 to the point of losing the literal physical creation account found therein has been with us since the start as well. Here is what Augustine wrote in chapter 21 of the City of God. On this account, some allegorize all that concerns paradise itself, where the first men, the parents of the human race, are, according to the truth of Holy Scripture, recorded to have been. And they understand all its trees and fruit-bearing plants as virtues and habits of life as if they had no existence in the external world, but were only so spoken of 
or related for the sake of spiritual meanings, as if there could not be a real terrestrial paradise, as if there never existed these two women, Sarah and Hagar, nor the two sons who were born to Abraham, the one of the bondwoman, the other of the free, because the apostle says that in them the two covenants were prefigured, or as if water never flowed from the rock when Moses struck it, because therein Christ can be seen in a figure, as the same apostle says, now that rock was Christ, in 1 Corinthians 10.4. No one then denies that paradise may signify the life of the blessed, its four rivers, the four virtues, discernment, self-control, courage, and right judgment, its trees, all useful knowledge, its fruits, the customs of the godly, its tree of life, wisdom herself, the mother of all good, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the experience of a broken commandment, the punishment which God appointed was in itself a just and therefore a good thing, but man's experience of it is not good. Augustine continued, These things can also and more profitably be understood of the church, so that they become prophetic foreshadowing of things to come. Thus paradise is the church, as it is called in the Canticles, Song of Songs 4.13. The four rivers of paradise are the four gospels, the fruit trees the saints, and the fruit their works. The tree of life is the holy of holies, Christ. Now stop for a second and just think. How more plain can he be here, Augustine? You see, the church has always understood the tree of life to be Christ, and Christ himself to be the Holy of Holies. Church has understood this from the beginning. So let's continue on with this quote from Augustine. He goes on from here after talking about the tree of life being Christ himself, the Holy of Holies, that the tree of knowledge of good and evil is the will's free choice. For if man despise the will of God, he can only destroy himself. And so he learns the difference between consecrating himself to the common good and reveling in his own. For he who loves himself is abandoned to himself, in order that, being overwhelmed with fears and sorrows, he may cry, if there be yet soul in him to feel his ills, in the words of the psalm. My soul is cast down within me, and when chastened may say, because of his strength I will wait upon you. These and similar allegorical interpretations may be suitably put upon paradise without giving offense to anyone, while yet we believe the strict truth of the history confirmed by its circumstantial narrative of facts. So you see, this from Augustine talks about the tree of life being Christ pre-incarnate even goes further to say that this Christ, who would ultimately come, was our Holy of Holies. He is the temple. Keep that in mind. Christ is the temple. He was the temple of that first creation. And when I say that, I mean the original. And he is the temple in the fulfillment of that original creation. It's really important for us to keep in mind. So, as we go on here, you should see from this not only that our faith has understood the tree of life to be Christ all along, in other words, that this is not some new teaching from the covenant creationists, but also that this idea of allegorizing Genesis chapter 1 to the point of losing its connection to the physical creation account has also been around from the beginning, and in fact, has been upbraided by the church for the past 2,000 years. So this is one of the benefits of spending time reading the teachings of our faith from the earliest times. For in so doing, we are able to check ourselves against history. And when we do this, and thereby take a longer view of things, we're able to have a much deeper grasp of what lies beneath the surface of our beliefs, or the beliefs of those who would feign to teach us something new. Overall, I'm glad to see that the covenant creationists agree with the early and historic church that the tree of life in the Garden of Eden was indeed the Christ pre-incarnate. But, and this is a big but, if we all agree on this point, the tree of life in the Garden of Eden was indeed Christ, holy of holies, our temple. 
Can we then all agree on what this understanding really means in our grasp of what heavens and earth passed away upon the coming of Christ? And this takes us to our subject matter for the day, the Melchizedek priesthood. You see, if one also understands that the pre-incarnate Christ was acting there in the Garden of Eden in the order of the Melchizedek priesthood, that will go a long way in helping one understand that the Genesis heaven and earth could not be that heaven and earth which was done away, but rather it was that which was fulfilled. And further, that the Mosaic heavens and earth that came with a new and temporary priesthood, the Levitical, is the only heavens and earth that could ever have been done away upon the coming of the new heavens and earth of the new covenant. Christ can't be in dispute against Christ. Christ can't cast away Christ. It was Christ in the beginning, and it's Christ in the fulfillment. So consider this carefully, and I think that this understanding of the two priesthoods, one eternal, one temporary, well, it may be the most simple proof that covenant creation has the wrong heavens and earth passing away, the most simple proof of all of them that are available. I think, in a way, this is why I started this series with the inclusion of the priesthood discussion as a part of the covenant discussion and the narrative. It alone is all that is necessary, really, to prove the point that the Moses world was done away not the world of Genesis. Nevertheless, our friend Joe Daniels, in a future podcast later this month or early in April, will add to this proof with his own demonstration of why the Mosaic Covenant is the temporary heavens and earth that was done away. Now, there are many, many more proofs, but I'm trying to start with the most simple and straightforward ones as I get going with this series. So let's take a look at this mysterious Melchizedek priesthood and see what we find. What we want to do is start in Hebrews chapter 5. We want to start here because to understand the Old Testament, we always want to start with Christ and the cross. Every word of Scripture is about this Christ. And so to understand what happened in the origin story back in Genesis, we have to understand that we got to start with Christ. So Hebrews chapter 5 talks about a high priest and that high priest must be duly qualified and divinely appointed. Let's begin in Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 1. Note that when a man is chosen as high priest, he is appointed on men's behalf as their representative in the things of God. He offers gifts to God and makes the necessary sacrifices for sins on behalf of his fellow men. He must be able to deal sympathetically with the ignorant and foolish because he realizes that he himself is prone to human weakness. This naturally means that the offering which he makes for sin is made on his own personal behalf as well as on behalf of those whom he represents. Note also that nobody chooses for himself the honor of being a high priest, but he is called by God to the work, as was Aaron, the first high priest in ancient times. Now let's stop for a second there after verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 5. Because this is a great verse. What we're told here is that Aaron, not Adam, but Aaron was the first man who was the first high priest in ancient times. So in and of itself, what we learn from this is that the tree of life, Christ pre-incarnate, was the priest unto Adam. Adam was not the priest of mankind. Let me read verse 4 again, the latter part of it. But he is called by God to the work, as was Aaron, the first high priest in ancient times. Now think also of what covenant Aaron found himself in, that being the Mosaic Covenant. Keep that in mind as we go as well. Continuing with chapter 5 of Hebrews, we pick up in verse 5. Thus we see that the Christ did not choose for himself the glory of being high priest, but he was honored by the one who said, 
You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And he says in another passage, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now that first quote comes from Psalm 2-7. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And this latter from Psalm 109, verse 4. Both of these from the Septuagint. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now continuing in Hebrews chapter 5, we read... Christ in the days when he was a man on earth. Now, I love this. I want to just point this out as we read this. I love how we see man now coming into the order of the Melchizedek priesthood through Christ. Never before was there a man in the order of this Melchizedek priesthood. Think about that. We already read in verse 4 that Aaron was the first high priest in ancient times, who was a man. Aaron was the first man who was a high priest. Here we see Christ, who is a man on earth, because now he's incarnate, not pre-incarnate anymore, but incarnate. So now we see here Christ being brought into that Melchizedek priesthood, saying, in fact, that he was a part of that Melchizedek priesthood forever. So Christ, in the days when he was a man on earth, appealed to the one who could save him from death in prayer and with the agony of tears. His prayers were heard. He was freed from his shrinking from death. But, son though he was, he had to prove the meaning of obedience through all that he suffered. Then, when he had been proved the perfect son, he became the originating source of eternal salvation to all who should obey him, being now recognized by God himself as high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. So think about this. Isn't this a beautiful thing? The pre-incarnate Christ brought forth the literal universe through the Melchizedek priesthood in Genesis chapter 1. And now, this same Jesus Christ, but now incarnate, is bringing forth the new creation while bringing man into that priesthood of the Melchizedek order with him. So what we see in Hebrews here is that creation of Genesis 1, being as it was of the physical universe, being fulfilled by the same high priest who created that original creation and bringing forth the new creation of which that first and original creation always pointed. Not doing away with it, but bringing it to its fulfillment, to that place where it always intended to go. Now in Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11, we continue. There's a great deal that we should like to say about this high priesthood, but it is not easy to explain to you since you seem so slow to grasp spiritual truth. Now, I would add to that, indeed, there is a great deal to say about this priesthood. For it was Christ pre-incarnate who brought the universe into existence, and Christ who now brings to fulfillment this universe through the incarnation. And he goes on in verse uh, 12, At a time when you should be teaching others, you need teachers yourselves to repeat to you the first principles of God's revelation to men. You have become people who need a milk diet and cannot face solid food. For anyone who continues to live on milk is obviously immature. He simply has not grown up. Solid food is only for the adult. That is, for the man who has developed by experience his power to discriminate between what is good and what is bad for him. There's a lot going on here in Hebrews chapter 5. Not the least of which is the writer of these words bringing out the idea that the first principles of God's revelation to man, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, and the creation of the physical universe into which all things would then come, and Adam was formed, and this Melchizedek priest, pre-incarnate Christ, was the priest of that original creation, and brought forth through him being the word, all that is. And now this Melchizedek priesthood in the through the incarnation bringing forth the new creation, the fulfillment of that original earthly realm, spiritual and earthly realms, 
There's a lot that could be said here. As the Apostle Paul, who is the writer here, says, there is a great deal that we would like to say about this high priesthood. Now, he does go on in chapter 7, or chapter 6 and 7, to say more about this priesthood. And we're going to pick up here and then keep doing that. So let's keep reading here in Hebrews. Then we'll go back to the Old Testament and see what we find about this Melchizedek specifically blessing Abraham. And again, that's the way we are to understand Scripture. Always understanding everything through the prism of Christ and the cross. So as we continue here in Hebrews, notice the covenants that we're dealing with. And again, this is why we started with the review of the covenants and the narrative of Scripture. So that we can understand when we got into Hebrews what we're really reading. We've already seen mention of Aaron in Hebrews chapter 5. The first man who became a high priest. Now, of course, we all know that Aaron was living under the Mosaic Covenant. And now here in Hebrews 6, we'll notice that we take one step back in the unfolding of the covenants. We'll take a step back to the Abrahamic Covenant. So let's pick up in Hebrews 6, in verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, he swore by himself. For there was no one greater by whom he could swear, and he said... Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And then Abraham, after patient endurance, found the promise true. Among men it is customary to swear by something greater than themselves. And if a statement is confirmed by an oath, that is the end of all quibbling. So in this matter, God, willing to show to the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. So that by two utterly immutable things, God's statement of promise and the oath which are both unchangeable, because it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a source of strength and might grasp the hope that he holds out to us. This hope we hold as the utterly reliable anchor for our souls, fixed in the very certainty of God himself in heaven, where Jesus has already entered on our behalf, having become, as we have seen, high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, in these verses, I want you to take a notice of the covenants in play here in the book of Hebrews. Mosaic covenant is in play with the Aaron reference. And now the Abrahamic covenant is in play as well. Now, also take notice of this statement that we read. We who have fled for refuge might have a source of strength and might grasp the hope that he holds out to us. Now, who and of what covenants are these that have fled for refuge unto him? And the answer is, those of the Adamic covenant, upon whom the covenant of Noah has also always remained a promise, even during the interlude of the Mosaic covenant through which God brought forth the incarnation, the Christ. So I want to ask you here, are you seeing how all of these covenants work together? All men come from the first man, Adam. Therefore, all men are participants with Adam in the covenant of dominion. All men are participants with Adam in the Adamic covenant, which promised that Christ would come to save them from death. All men are participants with Noah in the covenant of Noah that promised God would never again blot out all flesh. All, and all men are recipients of the promise to Abraham that through him the Christ would come. But all men are not participants of the Mosaic Covenant. Only those from Abraham through Isaac and Jacob, Israel. Are you seeing the narrative of Scripture worked out through the sequence of events which brought forth the covenants through which God worked out his plan? And are you seeing all those covenants intertwining here in Hebrews chapter 6? Now let's read on in Hebrews chapter 7 to continue to learn more of this Melchizedek priesthood. We'll pick up our reading in verse 1 of Hebrews 7. Now this Melchizedek was, we know, king of Salem and priest of the Most High God. He met Abraham when the latter was returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. Now do you notice how this mysterious Melchizedek was superior to Abraham and the Levites? 
That's what Hebrews chapter 7 is teaching us. Let's read on. Abraham gave him a tribute of a tenth part of all the spoils of battle. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And his other title is king of peace. For Salem means peace. He had no father or mother and no family tree. He was not born, nor did he die. But being like the Son of God is a perpetual priest. Now notice the greatness of this one. Even Abraham, the patriarch, pays him a tribute of a tenth part of the spoils. Further, we know that, according to the law, the descendants of Levi who accept the office of priest have the right to demand a tenth from the people, that is, from their brothers, despite the fact that the latter are descendants of Abraham. But here we have one who is quite independent of Levitic ancestry, taking a tenth from Abraham and giving a blessing to Abraham, the holder of God's promises. And no one can deny that the receiver of a blessing is inferior to the one who gives it. Again, in the one case, it is mortal men who receive the tenths, and in the other is one who we are assured is alive. I'm asking you here now, as we're reading Hebrews, do you see how plain it is that this Melchizedek of old was that pre-incarnate Christ? Now let's read on. One might say that even Levi, the proper receiver of tenths, has paid his tenth to this one. For in a sense, he already existed in the body of his father Abraham when Melchizedek met him. Now we're going to pick up here in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 7. And this section here notes that the revival of the Melchizedek priesthood means that the Levitical priesthood is superseded. You notice that even in the heading we get a sense of what's happening here. The revival of the Melchizedek priesthood, that which was with the original creation, once it's revived, the Levitical priesthood is superseded. So let's read in Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 11. We may go further, if it be possible, to bring men to spiritual maturity through the Levitical priestly system, for that is the system under which the people were given the law, why does the necessity arise for another priest to make his appearance after the order of Melchizedek, instead of following the normal priestly calling of Aaron? For if there is a transference of priestly powers, there will necessarily follow a change of the law regarding priesthood. He who is described as our high priest belongs to another tribe, no member of which had ever attended the altar, for it is a matter of history that our Lord was a descendant of Judah, and Moses made no mention of priesthood in connection with that tribe. Now think about what's going on here. We have, in Hebrews, the conversation about the transference from the first heavens and earth to the new heavens and earth, from the Levitical priesthood to the Melchizedek priesthood. The revival of the Melchizedek priesthood brought forth the demise of the Levitical priesthood. The revival of the Melchizedek priesthood that was present in the original creation supersedes and causes to bring to an end the Levitical priesthood of the first heavens and earth that only came with the Mosaic covenant. That's what we're reading right here in Hebrews. Let's continue in verse 15. How fundamental is this change becomes all the more apparent when we see this other priest appearing according to the Melchizedek pattern and deriving his priesthood not by virtue of a command imposed from outside, but from the power of indestructible life within. For the witness to him, as we have seen, is you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Quite plainly, then, there is a definite cancellation of the previous commandment because of its ineffectiveness and uselessness. The law, <clears throat> law was incapable of bringing anyone to real maturity and perfection, followed by the introduction of a better hope through which we approach our God. Now here in Hebrews chapter 7, there is no more clear teaching than we can find here that the Mosaic heavens and earth 
is that which was canceled and done away, replaced by the new heavens and earth, the new covenant, which is the fulfillment, the revival of that original creation and the original priesthood. We're not doing away with that which existed in the original creation of Genesis 1. What we're doing is fulfilling it, reviving it in the form that it was always intended to be. And in so doing, we're removing the first heavens and earth of the Mosaic Covenant and the Levitical priesthood, which was always given for just a temporary time in order to ensure that the people in a fallen world could reach the point to bring forth the Christ. That's what we see here. So Hebrews 7 is great. Hebrews 7, along with the understanding of the Melchizedek and Levitical priesthood, along with the understanding of the covenants, is all you need to understand that Genesis 1 is speaking of the physical creation of the spiritual and earthly realms and not of the first heavens and earth that was done away. You don't need anything else to prove this point. Now, there are many other proofs, and as I said, Joe will be joining us uh, in a later lesson in this series to talk about other ways that we understand this. Um, but here, this is so simple and so straightforward that it's hard to miss. Now, Hebrews chapter 7 continues, and it continues by saying... In verse 20, this means a better hope for us because Jesus has become our high priest by the oath of God. Other men have been priests without any sworn guarantee, but Jesus has the oath of him that said of him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And he is, by virtue of this fact, himself the living guarantee of a better covenant. I want to ask you right now, when Hebrews Chapter 7, verse 22 says, And he is, by the virtue of this fact himself, the living guarantee of a better covenant. Which covenant he's speaking of? Is he saying it's a better covenant than the Dominion Covenant? No. Is he saying it's a better covenant than the Adamic Covenant? No. You see, this is why it's important to start with understanding what are the covenants of Scripture. Is he saying that this is a better covenant than that which was made with Noah? No. Is he saying it's a better covenant than the Abrahamic covenant? No. Is he saying it's a better covenant than the Mosaic covenant? Yes, absolutely. For only the Mosaic covenant had human priests. Only the Mosaic covenant had the Levitical priesthood. That's why Christ, being of the Melchizedek priesthood, that original priesthood that we see in the garden through the tree of life, that's why the understanding of this Melchizedek priesthood and Levitical priesthood is so important and all you really need to understand that it was the Mosaic heavens and earth, not those of Genesis chapter 1 that are done away. So let's read on. Human high priests have always been changing. I ask you, changing since when? Since Aaron was first appointed. Remember, we read that first in Hebrews. For death made a permanent appointment impossible. But Christ, because he lives forever, possesses a priesthood that needs no successor. This means that he can save fully and completely those who approach God through him. And I ask again, as we're reading these verses, who approaches him? All of those of the Adamic covenant who are under the dominion mandate, the covenant of dominion. Do you see what we're saying here? Everyone that comes from Adam comes to Christ in the new covenant. For he is always living to intercede on their behalf. Now verse 26 of Hebrews chapter 7 follows, and it says, Here then is the high priest we need, one who is sanctioned by divine law, as opposed to the Mosaic law, I would add, good and kind and pure, unadulterated, beyond the very reach of sin, and lifted to the very heavens. There is no need for him like the high priest we have known, and of course, I would add, the only ones we have known are those of the Mosaic Covenant. Even Hebrews chapter 5 told us that Aaron of the Mosaic Covenant was the first high priest of mankind. So we read on, but the word of the oath, 
which came after the law, makes for high, the high priest the son, who is perfect forever. And this is the new heavens and the new earth of the new covenant, replacing the old heavens and earth of the Levitical priesthood of the Mosaic covenant. So that's Hebrews 5, 6, and 7 as it relates to this Melchizedek and Levitical priesthood. So I find this an amazing thing, what we find here in Hebrews, that this understanding of Scripture through the understanding of God working through his covenants with his creation, all of whom kind are of necessity, all of Adam, how all this interplay comes forth in what we see in the book of Hebrews. It's great stuff for us to comprehend and understand as we build on that base of understanding the covenants and the narrative of Scripture. Now, just so we don't miss anything, the actual visit of Melchizedek with Abram, Abram back in Genesis chapter 14 is found in verses 18 through 20. And I just want to read these. This is Genesis chapter 14, 18 through 20, so that you have the whole story here related to what we just read in Hebrews. Remember, we're looking back at this through the eyes of Christ and the cross from the New Testament we see and understand what was occurring in the old. So we know who this Melchizedek is in verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth loaves and wine. And he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, who made heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, who delivered thine enemies into thy power. And Abram gave him the tithe of all. When we read Genesis 14, 18, 19, and 20, what do we see? We see pre-incarnate Christ being manifested in that visit with Abraham. It's all a part of that Abrahamic promises, promise, which would then be the last we see of Melchizedek until the incarnate Christ makes his appearance. Because the last we see of that pre-incarnate Christ as Melchizedek, the high priest, is him blessing Abraham and so turning the priesthood over to the first man, Aaron, of the Mosaic Covenant that would come through Abraham. Now, St. Ambrose said of this that Christian worship is more ancient than that of the law since it is Melchizedek, the image of Christ, who brings the bread and the wine, not Abraham. You see, in our last set podcast, I had mentioned that the first Christian was Adam. Both before and after the fall, Adam was a Christian. He's the first Christian. What we have in the scriptures is Christianity producing Christianity. And we have an interlude of the Mosaic Covenant to get our humanity to the Christ. We don't have a religion that comes from a mosaic foundation into the Christian faith. What we have is the Christian faith in the garden fulfilled in the Christian faith of the new covenant. That's what Ambrose said here. Christian worship is more ancient than that of the law since it is Melchizedek, the image of Christ, who brings the bread and the wine. So Melchizedek is the living God, without beginning or end, that tree of life, eternal and self-existent, who became like the Son of God through the Incarnation. He became the Son of God through the Incarnation. This Melchizedek is that priesthood of the Garden of Eden that is fulfilled in the Adamic covenant promise of the Christ through the Incarnation of Christ there in Bethlehem. And the whole New Testament is the fulfillment of that original creation, not doing away with it, but fulfilling it and bringing it to its form that was always intended. And we have the Mosaic Covenant being but an interlude along the way, blessed as it was by Melchizedek, to bring forth the Christ in that fallen world. 
So all this takes us back into that Garden of Eden, and there in the garden we have Adam, literally the first man, not born of procreation, but instead literally formed by God from the actual physical dust of the ground. And he, Adam, is eating of the tree of life, that tree which is our good Lord, Christ pre-incarnate. So you see that Adam, in that original creation, was under Melchizedek in a similar, yet significantly different way as us. If Adam ate of that tree of life, he had life, as is true for us. For even today, if we eat of the body and drink of the blood of Christ, the tree of life, we have life. The significant difference is that if Adam fell, he would lose access to that tree of life, which was the pre-incarnate Christ. But we don't have this problem. We have the incarnate Christ who forever remains our mediator, even if and when we fall. This is the fulfillment of the Christianity that was foreshadowed in that first creation, the original creation in the garden. So this significant difference between the two is that Adam's access to the tree of life was destructible. Our access to the tree of life is indestructible. Adam's access to the tree of life was destructible. Our access to the tree of life is indestructible. That's what makes the new covenant under which we live the fulfillment, not the doing away of, the first creation, the original creation into which Adam was formed. And this is the same reason, understanding these priesthoods, this is the same reason that this new covenant is the doing away of the Mosaic covenant. That covenant which was always temporary in nature and only layered into mankind for a short season such that it might guide a portion of the children of Adam through the fallen world in order that Christ might come and through this marvelous result, bring to fruition and fulfillment the Adamic covenant which was given in the garden. Now there's a lot more to say on this, and we can talk about in Ephesians how we have described for us that all of Adam kind were parted from God through the selection of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob for the Mosaic covenant. We can talk about that because in Scripture, we have that distinction made for us. Everyone was in, and then some were separated in order that the Christ could be brought forth. But after the Christ was brought forth, all returned because the passing away of that separation was done away with. It was done away with. It passed away. That separation did. And so we returned to that original creation where all were one. So there's more work to do, and we'll get to it as the series progresses. Uh, we'll stay on this topic next week, and then on the 21st, we actually have another special guest coming on, a current subscriber of the Essential Spiritual Fitness Program, who will be sharing his testimony and what integrating Christ more fully into his daily life is meaning for him. And then after the 21st, we'll get back to this series and, again, bring Joe Daniels on somewhere along the way <clears throat> to provide his unique insights into this whole story of the covenants and what heavens and earth really passed away. In the meantime, again, next week we'll continue on this. We'll probably stay focused on the priesthood, um, both Melchizedek and the Levitical, but I'm not quite sure, but that might be what we're going to continue to deal with. And we'll ultimately get to the Adamic covenant and how Christ fulfills that as well. And you'll see all of these covenants with the narrative coming forth. And I hope that as you see this, you'll find that it's very plain what heavens and earth were done away with through the new covenant. Not the original creation, which was fulfilled, but that Mosaic covenant, which was always only meant to be temporary and was layered into mankind into that fallen world in order to ensure that the Christ child could come forth. This brings us to an end of our show. In our regular Saturday morning shows, we'll keep learning more and more about Christ's completed atonement on the cross, the harrowing of hell, redemption's natural result, 
the covenants, the priesthoods, all these things, and how continuing in Christ's word is the means by which we can integrate him into our daily lives with a cleansed spirit and a purified conscience. Remember, I've written a couple of books that I think you'll find of great interest in your journey toward fully integrating Christ into your daily life. The first, back in 2009, titled The Pearl, The Captivating Story of the Wondrous Love of God. And the second, published last year, called The Virtuous Life, God's First and Great Commandment. Both of these are available directly through Amazon, and I've included a link in the description for my shows so you can have easy access to them. I also have published my spiritual fitness program, which you can get at my website, www.spiritualfitnessprogram.com. And on that site, you can learn more about it, my free newsletter, and everything else that I have to offer. Uh, In essence, what it all boils down to for me is this. I see an active faith as a real faith. And so learning to grow in the four cardinal virtues of discernment, self-control, courage, and right judgment under and within and the order of this Melchizedek priesthood is the great goal that we have as we go forward. So looking forward, make sure you mark your calendar for next week as we're putting together another fantastic show for you on this very subject of uh, the covenants and the literal genesis. So be sure to tune in again next week at this same time. Thank you for joining us here today, this seventh day of March in the 2015th year of our Lord. I'm Paul Rackwitz, spiritual fitness coach, author and founder of the Essential Spiritual Fitness Program. I've enjoyed being your host and coming to you live this morning from Highland, Michigan, as I do every Saturday morning at 11 o'clock a.m. I hope you've been blessed by listening in. Be well, God bless, and I'll see you next time.